The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is a judgment greater than anything you've ever known. It won't be long. Your life will pass by as a vapor and you will stand before the judgment seat of God. And every secret deed and thought Every wrinkle, every spot will be in view Before the one who knows all things The Lord of Lord and King of Kings You know the one you never knew While you have breath You have a choice to make in life Turn away from your sin And believe on the risen Christ You can find peace in Him From the judgment that's to come He is the shelter from the coming storm All creation shakes at the mention of his name. He has power over life and death. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. Heaven and earth will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father will you bow, will you surrender to His majesty. He can save you from the might of all your sin. This is the fight in which He stands in perfect victory while you have breath. have a choice to make in life turn away from your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him from the judgment that's to he is a shelter from the coming storm While you have breath You have a choice to make in life away from all your sin and believe on the risen Christ you can find peace in him from the judgment that's to come He is a shelter from the coming storm. He's the only shelter from the coming storm.
I grew up in the church. I watched as the church stayed the same year after year. I almost gave up the idea of becoming a pastor. The call of God was strong on me. But I looked at the church and I said, it's hopeless. The church can't grow. It stays the same. The same old sermons, the same old music, the same old, same old, same old. There's no life here. I would ask my father about it. And he would say, Raymond, we just do what we know we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go to church, so we go to church. He said, I agree with you. The pastors are not preaching anything that I need to hear. They're not giving me any new information. They're not inspiring me. But I go because I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to go to church. And then when I went off to a boarding Christian school in Mount Vernon, Ohio, There the church was large. By large, I mean maybe 600 members. But it was the same old church. And the staff at the academy, um, they didn't invite the students to their homes. There was no serious challenge to our faith. I took the required Bible courses, New Testament, Old Testament, but it was just memorizing information. Why am I saying this? Because in my heart, I always had a cry for a primitive faith in Jesus, and I didn't know how to get there. I finally went off to college. It was a Christian college. It was the same old deal. Except here, there was beginning to be some life in the church because we were experimenting. We were talking. We were having conversations about how we could change what was happening in the church. I was full into that. And then I went to seminary. And there I was told by my professor that the new direction for the church was to deal in church growth philosophy, where you went out and talked to your neighbors and your community and took surveys of what is it that you want? Oh, you don't want the cross in the church. Okay, we'll take it out. You don't want the offerings. Okay, we'll put an offering basket at the back door. We'll change however we need to change to entice you to come to the church. And everything was transitioning to what they called relational theology. That is, Everything in the scripture had to be looked at in terms of how does this affect my relationship with the people around me? They were tired of the dead orthodoxy and they wanted something of a pleasing psychological nature to give some warmth to the church. The Presbyterian church was big into this. And so I went to a number of Presbyterian conferences where I met leaders of the relational theology. But it still was not satisfying to my soul. I didn't I didn't know how to deal with this because I'll tell you what I saw. I saw that there was a culture in the church, a culture of orthodoxy, 
a church calendar. There were traditions in the church. We didn't realize that all of the culture of art and music, I mean, in my church at home where I grew up, I didn't tell you, there was a a magnificent old pipe organ. But the pipe organ sat still and dead because we didn't have an organist. We did not have, even then, a lot of the culture, the rich culture of the Christian church. But when I went on to college and then on to seminary, there was much more of a inclusive culture of the Christian church. In the liturgy of the service, in the music, in the readings, uh, in the ministry outreach. It was much more uh, a Christian culture that I was hungry for because I thought that's where the real action would take place. The communion, the Eucharist. the celebrations, the Easter service, the the Thanksgiving service, the Christmas service, the candlelight services. These were all very important to me. The prayer meeting. These were cultural additions. The Sunday school, these were, these were cultural pieces that we celebrated. But what I didn't understand, I had an inkling of it in my heart, but I didn't understand that all of these cultural manifestations had lost their grounding. And so now the culture itself of Christianity was what we were concerned about maintaining these church calendars and these activities and these but slowly i saw people getting bored with these things and so the prayer meetings all across america began to die out people didn't go to prayer meetings anymore wednesday night had other activities Weekend events at the church, the social activity, the ball games, the whatever it was, those things began to kind of fade away. In one church on Wednesday night, I would do classes, different kinds of classes with different members teaching. They would sign up and and we would do a school curriculum and and people were excited about that and, and we would have dinner together. I picked this up from Gordon Cosby and the Church of the Savior in Washington, D.C., where they had the School of Christian Living. I thought that's a good idea. So I implemented that. And frankly, we had more people showing up on Wednesday night than we did for the main worship service. They wanted to learn, and we had classes that were both secular and spiritual. But in in all of that, I was watching as the American church was dying. Because, as I now know, the root of the church had withered and died. The root of the church. The primitive faith in Jesus was no longer there. Instead, the activities of the church were in competition with the ball games and the movies, 
The activities of the church were in competition with things that were flowing in the world that people were giving themselves to. They were in competition with the TV shows. People had their favorite shows. People didn't want to come out. I I watched as the American church died. First, the orthodoxy began to kill us all. Then the relational became boring. And the and the programs became useless. I mean, I I used to do a job club uh, here in Washington, D.C., and I'd help place about a 1,000 people a year into new job positions. And we would meet once a week for counseling and for working on resumes and and I would prepare dinner for everybody who would come to that. But I finally recognized there was nothing there was nothing of Jesus in that. It was just helping people make money. So as I looked at this whole picture of the church, we were struggling and we were dying. And I've I've been in many churches. I've pastored in quite a few churches. I have visited and held workshops and seminars for pastors and for people dealing with conflict resolution, dealing with stress management. But Jesus wasn't in it. So our orthodoxy died, and then our our relational theology died began to die. And then we went into church growth and everything was about, okay, drop out all of the objectionable things in your church and just do something that is seeker-friendly. Friendship evangelism. And I've watched as that has burned out in America. I know what the issue is today. I just don't know how quite to get at it yet. I try every day on this broadcast to get at it in a way that is helpful to you. I know that the answer is that there was a tap root that fed the culture of the church. But when the tap root died, the culture of the church went off course. And they finally said, all that really matters is that we be successful. And so the preaching has to be about new ideas and new strategies. It has to meet the felt need of the people. Robert Schuler, find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. That was his theme. Very humanistic. And the church in America today is very humanistic. Because the taproot died. And there was no taproot to then guide us in in how the church should progress. And so we began to lose the war with abortion. We began to lose the war with parents having authority in the schoolhouse and professionals took over, ungodly professionals. The teachers' union, one of the most ungodly organizations ever found in America. I watched as the church has become irrelevant to the culture. 
And so the church has pretty much just become comfortable, including the church, in a part of its culture. But we are a part of the world's culture instead of the church being the director of the culture of the people. And for this reason, many pastors have just bailed out and said, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this. I understand why. I've wanted to bail out too. I've sometimes said, why am I doing this radio broadcast? I, I keep coming and calling to repentance and to holiness to get back to the tap root of Jesus Christ. But I'm totally inadequate. I'm totally inadequate. How do I do it? So I I come to this story in the book of Acts where Stephen is a man full of God's grace and power. He did wonders and miraculous signs among the people. This is because he had a tap root into Jesus. He knew Jesus Christ personally. And the power of the Holy Spirit was filling him. Now, we talk about this stuff, but who has that today? David Wilkerson was my father in the faith. And he helped found the National Prayer Chapel. And I I drove to New York to see him many times. This time I was sitting in his office and I said, Brother David, would you pray over me? Would you anoint me with oil? I need desperately the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to be able to lift up Jesus. I need Pentecost. And to my sadness, he he looked like he was about ready to cry. He shook his head. He said, Brother Ray, all I can tell you is go in the anointing you have because I don't have what you're asking for either. He was right. He didn't. What I'm looking for and what I'm calling for I'm calling you to a primitive faith in Jesus Christ. We've got to regain the taproot of the gospel, and that is a primitive faith in Jesus. What do I mean by primitive? I mean back to the original. I mean back to the to the real deal where we're no longer trying to maintain some tradition, we're no longer trying to maintain some culture. The Christian church culture in America has been totally destroyed. What is remaining is a cheap counterfeit. We need the real deal. That's what I'm crying out for. Stephen had that tap root into Jesus. And he was not afraid. He was full of God's grace and power, and he was not afraid to engage the synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, the Jews of Cyrene, Alexandria. He was not afraid to engage the Jewish culture that he had been raised in because he knew that that culture was also dead and that Jesus had closed it down and that no longer were all the rules in effect for circumcision 
and all of the other rules. They were finished. Christ was the fulfillment. And as he would talk with them, they couldn't stand up against his his wisdom given to him by the Holy Spirit. And he spoke in the power of the Spirit, and they could not overcome those arguments. So they began to be dishonest, and they began to say lies about what Stephen was saying, claimed that he was blaspheming against Moses. So they were able to stir up the people based on the traditions. And they seized Stephen, and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses. And so as they looked intently at this man, there is a testimony in the scriptures in chapter 6 of Acts, in verse 15, that his face was like the face of an angel. His face was brilliant, like the face of an angel. Why? Because he had a taproot into Jesus. He was connected in the spirit to Jesus. So he began his presentation, his defense. And it's well worth reading in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts. He's very honest. He describes it exactly as it was. And what Moses had said, that God would send a prophet like himself. He would send a prophet one day to the children of Israel. The children of Israel, he went on to state, refused to obey Moses. They rejected him in their hearts. See, this is why the taproot dies, when we reject Jesus in our hearts. I have people who who listen to me either on this broadcast or at church. They listen because they get intellectual information and because I talk about life in Christ. But in their hearts, they're hard. They're argumentative. They don't really want Jesus. They want their own way. They want to be somebody. They want to be recognized as somebody. They want the comfort of some kind of of Christian conversation. Well, he finally recognizes that they are not going to listen to him. That they don't want to hear it. Many people will tune into this broadcast. And they will listen for a few minutes. And then they're gone. They'll subscribe, and then they'll be gone. I understand. What I share day by day is not that easy to listen to. Because it provokes your heart and your mind. And you don't want to change. You want to continue as a part of the culture of America. And you want to enjoy the culture of the church that remains, even though it's a false culture. You want to find a place in your busy life for a bit of Christian faith. You want to add Jesus to an already full life. And if you add anything else to your life, you have to let go of something. You can't add working out at the gym three days a week and not cut out something. Our lives are filled full of activity and work and people. 
And so if we're going to add that, we've got to cut something out. And we don't want to cut out anything. We just want everything pulled in. We want everything that will comfort us. Well, I don't. And so I've been cutting and cutting and cutting at the Lord's invitation. That's why I, I've i said to you, and some of you have been upset, I, I cut the television out of my life. I'm cutting the YouTubes out of my life. I'm cutting off those things in our culture that do not help me get to Jesus. I want a primitive connection like this man Stephen had with Jesus. I know it'll make people mad, but I'm old enough and I've been down the road far enough that it doesn't matter to me if people get mad. I'm on a a singular quest to find that living relationship with Jesus. Not something that is just mine, where I feel good about me. No. I want something that has explosive power to convict you and others in America of the need for a primitive faith in Jesus where you will pay whatever price is necessary to get wherever you have to be to reclaim that primitive relationship with Jesus. I want you to break off your life, the yoke of the devil. Oh, my brother, my sister, do you hear what I'm saying to you today? Finally, this wonderful man of God who looked like he had the face of an angel. He confronted them. He said, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who preached the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Now, there are several things in this brief statement by Stephen that so infuriated these Jewish people. Recognize these were very religious Jewish leaders. These were rabbis. These were people of authority. These were people who read the scriptures, who had their culture. They didn't recognize that their culture was dead. Jewish people today still don't recognize that their culture is dead. So you have the Reformed Jews who have almost no culture. You have the Hasidic Jews who have a rich culture. I was flying back from Israel several years ago, and there was a Hasidic Jew, a rabbi, in front of me on the airplane. And after we'd been in the air for a number of hours, He got up and he turned around and I was sitting in my chair and I was reading the Bible. And he said to me, he was kneeling on his seat, looking over the seat at me behind him. And he said to me, 
you're a Christian. I said, yes. And I have to thank you who are Jewish for the rich culture that has been for so many years that you've put your faith in. He stopped. He looked at me. He said, that's the problem. It's just our culture. I don't have a relationship with God. Do you? Yes, I do. Well, tell me about it. He said, I shouldn't be asking you this. I'm not even supposed to be talking to you as a Gentile. But you're reading my Bible. And I was reading in the Old Testament. You're reading my Bible. Yes, I am. Because it's out of your scriptures that Jesus came as the Messiah. Well, I I don't believe that. Well, what do you have? He said, I just have empty culture, and I'm tired of it. I don't know how long I can do this. Well, he was exactly right. I don't know whether my testimony to him was helpful to him or not, but it certainly took away his boredom for this long trip from Israel. He was going into New York City where he lived. Stephen speaks very directly and calls them stiff-necked people. That is, people who are unwilling to bend to the will of God. He calls them uncircumcised hearts and ears. In other words, they refuse to listen. Well, you are listening to something. I'm grateful that you're listening to this message today. But you spend a lot of time listening to a lot of other things also. And it's those other things, those worldly things of culture. And then you find some movies like The Chosen or the reenactment, supposedly, of the Jesus movement. I would urge you not to watch the Chosen, or to go watch that movie. It's a lie. It's not true. It's a product of culture, not of the scriptures. They don't portray in the Chosen Jesus in the way he should be portrayed. He is portrayed as welcoming and loving everybody, and that was not who Jesus was. He did not come to bring peace. He came to bring a sword to separate the image and the and the way we look at Jesus is so much out of our American culture that it has very little to do with the Jesus of Scripture, who is straight, narrow path, calling to repentance. A man who very much likes the whole series of The Chosen was talking with me And he began to very excitedly talk about this incident in Scripture. I stopped him and I said, My brother, do you realize that what you're telling me is not in the Scripture? And he was surprised. I said, No, it's in the Chosen. Oh, well, you know, they're trying to bring things alive for us. No, they're not. They're trying to lie to you. They're presenting to you a gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are so given to our cultures. I urge you to, if you want to read an interesting read, uh, Niebuhr's book on Christ and culture. I believe that culture is against Jesus Christ. Niebuhr, of course, would argue that we have to revolutionize culture. I just simply reject American culture with its fast track into 
loving the occult and witchcraft, loving death, loving abortion, loving everything that's evil, calling evil good, the whole homosexual deal, the whole perversion, sodomy. I hate it. It's evil. I don't carry hate in my heart, but I hate sin. And I love Jesus Christ. (laughs) I'm on his side. He calls them stiff-necked. He calls them uncircumcised, just like your father's. You always resist the Holy Spirit. That's just exactly what's happening in the American culture today and in the church. The church is resisting the Holy Spirit. The words have to be tender and soft and and effeminate. We can't have a a strong masculine preacher who will stand up and thunder against the sin of our day and say, leave this culture and turn aside from it and seek the face of Jesus Christ. Well, that's what I'm doing. And I know it's not the way to get ahead in this culture by proclaiming Jesus Christ, but that's what I have to do. He owns my heart. He owns my life. So I'm told by some, you're not a pastor. People get angry with me. They demand that I respond in a certain way. No. They even killed those who predicted the coming of Jesus Christ. And now he says, you have betrayed Jesus and you have murdered him. Well, they hadn't murdered him, but their culture had. You who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. You've not obeyed it. We have tried to obey the dictates of our culture as our culture has been eviscerated and destroyed in America. America is not the place it was when I was a boy. Crime is rampant, violence on every hand. We didn't lock our door when we went away when I was a boy. We didn't lock our cars when we parked them. Today, I would not think of not locking the door when I come into my house. It's always locked. Away or here, it's locked. Because I don't want someone coming into my home and killing me or my wife. We're violating the house of the Lord. So we have Beyonce, one of the most wicked witches of our day. We have the Kardashians with their sexuality perversions. We have the movies, the movie stars. all preparing the way for the coming of the Antichrist and all coming to pervert the way of the cross. When he says this, they're furious. They're angry. But Stephen He's full of the Holy Spirit, and he looks up to heaven, and there he sees the glory of God. 
and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Oh, I praise God. Jesus is on his feet for Stephen. He stands up for Stephen. Will Jesus stand up from the throne of heaven because he sees you or sees me? I love that Jesus was on his feet cheering for his servant. He wasn't sitting at the right hand of God. He was standing at the right hand of God. See, this is what we've got to do everything in our power to get back to this primitive root of knowing Jesus Christ. We've got to let go of our opinions. We've got to let go of our of our lust. We've got to go for Jesus. They they cover their ears. They're yelling at the top of their voices. They're rushing at him. They grab him and they drag him out of the city. And on the outskirts of the city, they began to pick up stones and shoved him down and began to toss stones at him to break his bones, to mash his head, to kill him, to murder him. They can't stand what he's saying to them. And while they're stoning him to death, Stephen struggles to his knees. And he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. In other words, he knew Jesus so intimately, he knew that when he died, he was going straight to Jesus. He fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he said this, he fell asleep. He fell asleep. His work was finished. He was taken home. I'm eager to talk with Stephen when that day comes. I want to know, how did Jesus welcome you into heaven? I'll bet he met you at the gate. I'll bet he embraced you. I'll bet he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little. Now I'm going to give you much. I love Stephen. I love that he did not abide by the Jewish cultural lies. And I don't want to abide by the American cultural lies. And I urge you, with all of your heart, go after a primitive, a primitive faith in Jesus Christ. Cut out this world. Jesus knows what you need, and he will give it to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things that the pagans run after will be given to you. The Lord knows you need them. You need food. You need shelter. You need a car. Trust Jesus. He'll give it to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his innocence. Get back to Jesus, to that primitive faith in Jesus Christ, in that confidence in who he is and what he's done. Look heavenward and see if you can see him standing at the right hand of the Father. Lift your gaze from this world. Lift your gaze to heaven. Don't be enamored by the trinkets of this wicked age. Remember, 
Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. As they go into Vanity Fair, they won't buy anything. There's nothing worth buying on this earth. You have a little money? Use it for the kingdom of God. However the Holy Spirit directs you. Give yourself to Jesus. And ask him to totally remove you from any loyalty to the empty traditions of the American church or to the empty traditions of America. I'm going to take some time off the first part of April. And I'm going to just disappear for a couple weeks. And I'm going to seek the face of Jesus. I need time with Jesus. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Jesus is calling me to come apart and to rest in him. The broadcast will continue with pre-recorded messages. I'm telling you this to tell you that I'm not telling you to do something that I'm not doing. I am seeking Jesus with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul. I want Jesus, and I am waiting before him, and I am resting in him. I'd love to hear from you. This is a very long month in terms of broadcast days. The total cost is going to be more than $4,000. I invite you to, to share in the cost of this broadcast. You can write to me, Pastor Ray Greenley, National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. Let me give you that address again. It's National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. The zip code is 22195. Thank you to each of you who has been writing and has been giving. I treasure that. I also invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online, and you can listen to this broadcast again as you pray over these issues. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.